0: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, just wanted to talk about a couple things. Rotoballer.com, still pumping out content, free content over there to get you ready for the fantasy baseball season. I know we don't know what's going to happen. Everything's up in the air. I hope everybody's staying safe and and spacing each other out and washing your hands and all that good stuff because eventually we'll get through this and eventually we'll get baseball. It's going to happen. Hopefully in June at the earliest would be great. Maybe July, but one way or another, we are getting baseball, and we're going to keep getting you ready for it over at rotoballer.com. And uh, go check out all that great work over there. And also, thanks for listening to Bench with Bubba. If you guys give a rating and review, it helped the podcast out a ton. Going to keep pumping out content for you. If you guys have any ideas, any uh, offshoot shows, you know, or the baseball movies, if you have other things, let me know. We'll keep pumping out content over here at Bench with Bubba. And thanks for listening and being great people that listen to the show. we got a good one for you today, episode 262 with Frank Stample of the Sports Grid recapping his uh, Tout Wars draft. A couple thoughts on that auction, plus some players that were injured going into the season might not be now. So what's our thoughts on that? Enjoy the show. And welcome back to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 262. Gonna we'll get back to talking some fantasy baseball today with a special guest, a, a recurring guest to the show. He's been with us before, uh, talking baseball, and i we'll love to have him back again. Find him on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank, and he's from
1: the Sports Grid. Lots of cool stuff over there. Frank Stample, how we doing, man? Hey what's going on Bubba I mean given the circumstances uh, things are going quite well about as well as they could be obviously would be better if we had spring training baseball going on and opening day to look forward to but you know just a reminder everyone out there stay safe wash your hands Uh, but yeah it's 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 an interesting time in life right now and hopefully you know doing this show this podcast we can kind of give people an outlet a source to kind of escape everything that's going on but aside from that I'm doing well how about you man? Yeah, same thing. It's
0: just uh, the reason I keep doing these is to give people an outlet to, you know, get their mind off things for a little while. It's nothing crazy. We kind of just speculate on stuff because none of us have an answer, but it's all about staying safe. And um, like I told people on the last show, it's just be selfless. Even if you can't get sick or whatever, or that bad, think about everybody else. So that, that's what this is for. And we'll get through it together. It's uh, you look at uh, Korea. They're already uh, scheduling a baseball season. So things are looking up if you just... You know, stick with the program. Things will be okay. It's just going to suck for a little while, but we will get there. But uh, I wanted to have you on the show because you just took place in tout wars last week and we'll, we'll recap that draft. But uh, you were tweeting about it and I've been asking people about it. So I want to get your thoughts on some players that, with this potential shortened season, first, just your thoughts. What kind of rough date are you prepping for if you're looking at a, a shortened season?
1: I think everyone's kind of different right now. But, you know, June 1st is the is the date that I kind of see everyone throw around, you know, tentatively right now. So, you know, I'm kind of prepping for June. Wouldn't surprise me if this pushes into July, maybe even further. But, you know, just in terms of rankings, like where I'm moving players around, I'm kind of doing it with a mindset that some point in June, hopefully we can get things up and running again. Uh, for the baseball season, obviously for fantasy baseball. So that's kind of the mindset that I have right now It is it, it June, which, you know, like we're going to talk about completely changes the valuation of, you know, uh, all these injured players. And that's why I commend, you know, the NFBC, which is such a, a high stakes platform for fantasy baseball for pushing back uh, a ton of their drafts right now and their main events, because I had two entries in the main event. And I mean, at the time, it would have been impossible to draft just in terms of trying to value players that are injured. So I do commend them for doing that. Uh, And I I think for the most part, people should be pushing back their drafts. I understand, you know, if you can't, a lot of people kind of have it already planned. And, you know, getting that many people uh, together on a similar date is, you know, is obviously hard to do. But I would recommend people pushing it back. And I'm currently planning for June. And and let's cross our fingers, Bubba, that that's the case.
0: I'm with you. I think because like the earliest we've heard is, you know, May 15th or so, they can maybe get back into practicing. They'll have to stretch out. So now you're thinking early June. In reality, it's probably mid-June or something. So that that's probably the, the the reality of the situation. And that's what I'm trying to stay optimistic for, even if it's empty stadiums. I'm cool with watching games in an empty stadium right now. I just want some baseball. So I'm, I'm 100% on board with that. And that's that's the interesting thing about it. I agree, these these drafts, I'm, I'm trying to push back every draft I have. I'm glad the NFC did it. We know tout wars couldn't. We understand all that. Like, there's certain circumstances where not everybody can. But uh, it'd be really, really hard, especially like you said, you know, in FBC, the high dollar deals, it's hard to to, uh, do that and uh, make a a, a solid draft pick with that much money on the line. So I would recommend uh, stepping back just like you. Uh, Sit sit back and enjoy. If, If you have the itch, and I tweeted about it last night, I'll probably start some. You don't want to spend a lot of money. Let's just do some best ball tens. Just have some fun. Just throw a couple bucks out there and see what happens. Get your get your brain going on it. But uh, let's talk about some players because these are going to be the injured guys for the most part. There's a lot of guys we could talk about, guys on innings limits that are going to change like that. But let's start with Justin Verlander. You know, he had a hip, uh, surgery um, and he's supposed to be back within like six weeks, which if we're thinking June, middle of June, knock on wood, he's ready to go. He is 37 years old. But uh, where are you looking to draft uh, Verlander? Because ADP since March 1st in draft champions is around pick 14.
1: Yeah. So right now I'm kind of valuing Justin Verlander close to where I had him originally, which is, you know, in the top five starting pitchers, Uh, you mentioned that he had groin surgery and he's going to miss the next six weeks. But even then, you know, from the middle of March, that kind of puts him as uh, a good to go date around late April, even early May. So if the season were to get started in June or July, whenever it might be, it seems like based on that timetable, Justin Verlander's going to be good to go. Now, obviously, there's risk for re-injury for any pitcher, and I guess even more so for a pitcher uh, of his age. But, you know, if you dig into the numbers, which I'm sure that you've done already, Bubba, when it comes to Justin Verlander, like, yeah, you can you can find some, some negatives, uh, you know, with like his fastball kind of... Um, declining but you know outside of that like the whip is still amazing the era is still great like in terms of volume going deep into games strikeouts as well so i mean i basically have him back where i had him before i actually i uh, had a draft last night a 15 team draft that we couldn't push back because everyone had already agreed to this date and he went in the middle of the second round so uh you know you're going you get a little bit of a discount right now but for the most part i, I pretty much have him where i had him before inside that top five
0: yeah, I'm with you. I got I, I first before when we thought we were having a season, I moved him back a pretty, you know, decent chunk outside of the top five. He's more like ten or eleven. So I still think, you know, five good months of Verlander is pretty darn good. Well, we might get four to five good months now, all things good. Probably four good months of Verlander. And you have to move him back up. He's probably behind, you know, Cole de There's the Scherzers, there's the Buellers, there's Verlander. That Scherzer Verlander world where it gets a little murky for me, but um, that that's kind of that uh, the, the wheelhouse right there. So I'm 100% with you because he's a workhorse. He's a strikeout machine. And he's one of those guys that so far has defied father time. And until he proves me wrong, I'm probably going to sit there and uh, keep drafting him where he's going. You mentioned the middle of round two and a 15-teamer. So pick, you know, 20 to 22, give or take. That's an absolute steal where before the injury he was going into the first round. So you're getting a little bit of value there for him, no doubt about it. Uh, Let's talk Mike Clevenger. This is a guy that I was huge on coming to the year. And I know I wasn't the only one. A lot of people like the Clev dog. Uh, He had the knee issue. Like last year, he had the arm issue. shortened his season. Then the knee injury. He's rehabbing that. We've seen the long toss. We've seen him play wiffle ball with Trevor Bauer. All kinds of stuff like that with Clevenger. He's going around pick 33. And, you know, he was already ramping up to only miss maybe two to four weeks to start the season, which means he'll be ready to go if we pitch in June. So what's your thoughts on Clevenger?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to Justin Verlander. And I guess, you know, I wouldn't even put as much injury risk on someone like Clevenger because he's a lot younger than than Verlander, you know, just 29 years old. He has had some injury concerns in the past. He dealt with the back last year. You know, he's only pitched over 126 innings once in his career. But I think you're right. Like, when he's on the mound, he's one of the top 10, maybe five best pitchers in baseball right now. I mean, he had a 16-start stretch last year, Bubba, from July 3rd to September 24th we get a 176 ERA, 2.98 XFIP, 102 whip, almost 12 Ks per nine. Uh, We know he's got nasty breaking stuff, uh, 15% swinging strike rate during that time period as well. So yeah, I I think similar to Verlander, you move him back to kind of where he was before, which for me was SP6. I had him just ahead of Shane Bieber. I had had the Cleveland Indians back to back there with Clev and, and then Bieber at seven as well. I know some people might have concerns over Bieber. I'm not one of those uh personally but uh yeah look Clevenger I just in that draft last night I actually took him in the second round I started things off with Juan Soto and then I took uh, Clevenger in the second round so uh, and I wound up with him on my Tout Wars team so I guess that tells you how I feel about him you know uh, by the time things get ramped up it seems like he was gonna be good to go by the middle of April maybe missed the first couple weeks the first month of the season if we would have started on time and we had videos of him kind of pitching and ramping things up and, you know, throwing off a mound already. So I think a lot of people were already optimistic about him. Um, And I think even more so now, I think you just kind of move him back to where he, where he was before in that second round, similar to Justin Verlander. I have no problem with it. I've already invested twice.
0: I like how you uh, took him as your SP one, because that's how I viewed him prior to the injury. And if we were starting in April, I would have probably dropped him down to an SP two for me, but still like a top, you know, four round, five round, at the latest option. I still liked him quite a bit. And now, you know, we're going to get a full run. And you mentioned he's only pitched 126 innings. Uh, uh, the most innings is 126. And one thing is, we're again, all speculation aside, say we start mid-June, you know, a guy that you'd hope for 200 innings, now 130 to 140 innings is a good season. So now Clevver's rolling right with the rest of them. It might even not even be that many innings. So, yeah, I'm with you. I like the Clev dog. I'm assuming he's going to be healthy. And until I hear otherwise, I'm going to move him right back up the ranking. He's a a top-end pitcher for me as well. Uh, The next two we're going to talk about, I have a little bit more mixed emotions on. First, we're going to start with Blake Snell. You know, the quarter zone shot, they were saying he was going to be fine. It was in his shoulder, that he was going to be ready for opening day. I found that hard to believe still. I think he benefits tremendously from this extra time. He's going around pick 42. He's a guy I'm really nervous about still. Are you concerned at all with Snell?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I still have him down at SP twenty, which I mean, that might be ranking him aggressively too low. But uh, it seems like there's no middle ground. You either you either feel really uh, strongly about you know kind of leaving Blake Snell where he was, or you're kind of going the complete opposite way. And I currently lean with the latter, uh, obviously based on where I have him ranked. And there's a lot of people who aren't really worried because, as we'll talk about in Tout Wars, I mean, he still went for a pretty decent price tag. Um, and last night in the draft I was doing, he still went in the second round. So, uh, it's a little aggressive for me and look, like we're going to talk about with Chris Sale as well. I mean, these are guys that are dealing with kind of recurring injuries. Blake Snell last year, uh, before he kind of had the whole furniture fiasco where he like dropped something on his toe and fractured his toe. He was great. There's no doubt about it. Like his first, I think it was like seven, eight starts of the season. I mean, he was ridiculous The strikeouts, the swinging strike rate, everything was there uh, on an uh, a super elite level for Blake Snell. But, I mean, once he returned from that injury, it seems like he might have even returned too soon. Uh, wound up having the uh, the cortisone shot uh, in the elbow this year in spring training. Last year, he got, you know, shut down with uh, with an elbow injury as well. So, especially to his pitching arm too. So, uh, I'm a little bit more worried about Blake Snell. I'm sure the time off is going to do him well, but this is still something that I could see recurring at some point this season, even further down the long Uh, down the line uh, just future long term in terms of Blake Snell even in a keeper a dynasty league I mean this is one that I do worry about long term the last time we saw him he made his return in spring training and he only got one out he had like four walks I believe the velocity was still up which is obviously what you want to see but just had no feel for his pitches whatsoever Uh, so yeah I'm with you on this one I I do worry about Blake Snell and I'm aggressively ranking him uh, pretty low as of now
0: he's pretty much off the list for me as well I think it's what when you're ranking them as aggressively low as you are, it's basically saying I'm not drafting them, and that's what I do. Right. For certain guys, there's other guys I, I aggressively you know, rank higher because I'm that high on them. I want to get them type situation. Uh, Blake Snell is a guy, he said reoccurring injury, but shoulder is very concerning. You know, Shoulder, elbow, forearm, those are the things we worry about. Shoulder is pretty bad. So you need a cortisone shot. Uh, the velocity up was good, but no command. We'll see. I think I'm just going to pass on him, and then it goes to uh, Chris Sale, who you were talking about. He's going around pick 94 right now, and I still think he's having Tommy John surgery. I hope he doesn't, but at the same time, it's going to really suck when he does because they could have started this surgery a long time ago and be rehabbing already. Now they're going to play this game. I'm super off, off on Chris Sale. So what's your thoughts on Sale?
1: Yeah, I agree entirely, too. And and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh, Luis Severino situation as well, where, you know, the Yankees basically knew that he was dealing with something, you know, going back to uh, going back to last year. So they could have kind of started that process for Severino. And I'm a Yankee fan, too. So the way that they've handled all these injuries from Severino to Paxton to Judge, I mean, these are injuries they've been dealing with going back to last year. Uh, so it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that with Chris Sale. And I agree with you, you know, I mean, they already have him under contract. If They had the ability to kind of, it, it seemed like they were, not punting the season but kind of, let's kind of call it for what it is. I mean, they traded away Mookie Betts and you look at the rest of that rotation. I mean, it's not a pretty sight. They have Eduardo Rodriguez and Nathan Avaldi there at the top, but you know, outside of those two guys, they really don't have much in that rotation. So, it seems like they were kind of, you know, a reset year here for the Boston Red Sox. I think it would have made sense for, you know, if ultimately he's going to need Tommy John surgery, that's something they probably should have either looked into or should have had him uh, you know, have that surgery already. But again, similar to Blake Snell, I mean, this is recurring. This is going back to last year. And I had Chris Sale in, in my main event last season. And so I watched all of his starts uh, very closely. Something was very off about him. I mean, you can cite the sw- the swinging strike rate, uh, the x the underlying numbers. I'm just telling you what I watched every single time out. And Chris Sale was not himself. The velocity was down. He was missing his spots. He was allowing a much more hard contact than ever before. He was giving up a ton of home runs. Granted, juice ball year, everyone was giving up home runs, but something was not right with Chris Sale last year. Shoulder, elbow, I mean, a ton of concerns. And we've kind of had these concerns for a while for Chris Sale because he has like that wiry frame and that that kind of weird delivery. And we were kind of worried, like, when is it going? To, not a matter of if, but when it's going to happen with Chris Sale. And I think it's something that you can kind of relate to a little bit more too, considering you know you're a Giants fan. And you kind of saw this happen with uh, with Tim Lincecum, mm-hmm. wiry frame. We we were almost kind of expecting it for a while. Uh, not the same, obviously, uh, between Chris Sale and Tim Lincecum, but uh, I, I think there are kind of similar aspects there between the two guys. So I'm with you. I have him down at like SP 47. Like, sure, if you can get him with your last pick in your draft, why not? There's no risk there. But if you have to invest a top 150 pick, which I think people are still doing. That just seems absolutely crazy to me.
0: Yeah, they're still investing. He's in the top one hundred over the last month. It's crazy that people are actually doing that. Uh it makes you wonder. I think it's too late to throw to to say they were wrong, but you'd have you know, you, you can never predict what's happening right now. But if, if they were to know that they maybe play like two thirds of a season or a half a season, they might have already had that surgery. Like I think yeah. I think <laughs> if they were to know they're they were already kind of thrown in the towel this year, they just had the surgery, but Uh, It's almost too late to be like, oh, yeah, never mind. He needs a surgery now. It's uh, it's a weird spot the Red Sox are in for sure. Um, We just talked about two guys we're kind of out on with these. James Paxton, you know, is always injury prone for something or another. The back issue scared the snot out of me coming into this season. But the fact he was already throwing, now, they they seem a little sooner than he should have been throwing. Now they can slow it down again, get him ramped up properly. There's a good chance he's ready – right out the gate here, and he's going around pick 160. I think Paxton's a guy that's interesting about buying back in on. Uh, What's your your take on Paxton?
1: Yeah, so I kind of alluded to it already, uh, the fact that, you know, I think the way that the Yankees have handled their injuries the past couple of seasons has been god-awful. But uh, from a fantasy baseball perspective, I'm with you. I think that there's a buying opportunity here. I actually wound up with James Paxton on my on my tout Wars Wars team. Uh, and, again, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But, you know, this is someone that we were expecting back in early May, maybe mid-May. And, again, if the season is starting in June or July, uh, it seems like he should be good to go by the time things ramp back up you know, it's a little bit similar to Snell and, and sale where you you do have some concern because he's just dealt with so many injuries, right? Like just because he's going to be ready to start the season on time. It doesn't mean that, you know, things are just going to be smooth sailing for the rest of the season. You know, if, and when we get started up here uh, with, with major league baseball, but uh, you know, he's just dealt with so many injuries the past couple seasons, seasons, uh, back injuries, a, a bunch of different things. I believe he's had like knee injuries as well. There's no doubting when he's on the mound, like, in terms of strikeout rate. I mean, he's one of the best premier sources of, of strikeouts in baseball from a fantasy perspective as well. Um, but, you know, I do, I do see a buying opportunity here as well. It seems like once we get started up, he's probably back in that, you know, top 30 ish starting pitcher di- uh, discussion. I, I think that that's fair to say when it comes to James Paxson. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I, I see a buying opportunity here, but I will kind of caution people like don't, be too optimistic because he's just dealt with so many things over the past couple seasons.
0: Yeah. He seems to be able to find the banana peel wherever it's at. He's really good at that. Uh, but when, he on, when he's on the mound, he's outstanding. One of the better pitchers in baseball. I was kind of optimistic this year after what we sought to end last season with the Yankees. I think I had him in between SP 20, SP 25, give or take. When he got hurt, I pretty much put him off my list. Cause I hate back injuries, but uh, on this kind of season where not requirements aren't as large going forward, Definitely more intriguing to me, and kind of moves back up to where I had him going into the season. So right now, he comes at a bit of a value at this point in time. Now let's talk about a couple of bats here. Willie Calhoun was a guy I was big time hyped on this season. Takes one in the jaw from Julio Urias. Uh, had, had surgery. They didn't have to wire his jaw shut, which is very surprising and, and I think good. Reports came out a couple of days ago. He's uh, cleared to start some light baseball activities, which again, good. If he start, if he keeps in this trend, you'd imagine. He could be back uh, sometime in June, even maybe May, if things work out properly. Um, And it might just mean, you know, Willie Calhoun's back. Now, what mental side of it of taking one of the fastball to the face? How does that feel stepping back in the box? None of us will know. It's different for everybody. But right now he's going around pick 181. Are you good with going back to Willie Calhoun, kind of how we saw him before the injury? Are you still concerned?
1: Yeah, I'm going back to Willie Calhoun and Bubba. I mean, this is this is a Frank Stample special right here. I mean, I, I have not been able to quit Willie Calhoun. I mean, I've been drafting him basically every season since like twenty seventeen. Like I just I can't give up on the guy. And just going back to that twenty seventeen season that he had in the minors, I mean, thirty-one homers with a three hundred batting average. Uh he was the the prized possession in that trade. Uh that, that sent you Darvish from the Rangers to the Los Angeles Dodgers at the time. And I'm I'm just, I can't quit him. I I think this is someone who has the upside to hit, you know, 35-plus homers, uh, 280-plus batting average. You know, I was talking with uh, Scott White uh, of CBS on Twitter about this. He's kind of likened him to Mike Moustakis. I think that that's a very fair comp. I mean, if we can get Mike Moustakis, uh, his type of numbers in the outfield based on where Willie Calhoun is going as well, I I think that, you know, that's – I mean, that would be great value for where he's going right now. And now I'm going to keep referencing the, the few drafts that I've done recently, but uh, I did wind up with him uh, last night. Uh, again, I believe it took him in like round 12 as my third outfielder off the board. So uh, that's not really dissimilar from where he was going before all of this happened. I, I agree that there might be a mental aspect again, that he has to get over. He's going to have to wear that new helmet similar to how Stanton used it a couple of years ago, the, the kind of face guard helmet, he's going to have to get used to that as well. But Bubba, this was finally the year that he was going to step in. Every day starting job in the outfield. Uh, Didn't really have anything to worry about. It seemed like they were kind of finally handing him the keys to the car there. uh, And he was just going to take off. I still think he's someone that can hit, you know, 30 to 40 home runs with with a 280 plus batting average. And for where you're getting him, I still think it's a great value. So, yeah, I'm buying back in on him.
0: 100% agree with you there. I think uh, that Moustakis' comparison is really solid. I like that a lot. Um, Quickly on Calhoun. You know, some people were saying it with when he got hurt, it opened the door for Nick Solak, consistent playing time, because Solak is like a utility guy with Santana in center field. With Calhoun back, it might limit Solak back to utility. Uh, just quickly, do you have any uh, quick thoughts on a guy like Nick Solak? Were you ever in or out on him?
1: Yeah, I like Solak. I like what I saw from him last year in both the minors and the majors. I mean, a lot of what he did in the minors last year actually translated to the major league level. He has good eye at the plate as well, good bat-to-ball skills, uh, could hit for average, has a little bit of pop. Uh, But it's going to be interesting to see how they handle this now. It was really frustrating, for me at least, when they signed Todd Frazier in the offseason because that kind of, you know, dampened the, uh, the, the upside of someone like Nick Solak. Now, I will say this. Uh, before kind of everything went down uh, with Willie Calhoun, they were talking about how they were not getting any production from Ronald Guzman or Greg Bird in spring training. So I still think that there's a chance that they can move Todd Frazier over to first base. They can have Nick Solak play third base as well, and they can kind of get creative with things to get his bat in the lineup because ultimately I think that that's what they want to do. I think they want to find a way to get Nick Solak in there, uh, and he's someone that I am definitely interested in. So, kind of just keep that in the back of your mind. I think a lot of people are just going to think, like, well, oh, well, Willie Calhoun's back. That's gonna that means no spot for for Nick Solak. I don't know that the Rangers necessarily owe anything to someone like Ronald Guzman or Greg Bird if they're not comp- uh, if they're not you know uh, producing at the plate. So, I, I think that they can get creative, move Todd Frazier over to first, uh, and Solak over to third if that's something that they really wanted to do.
0: I love it. Yeah, I, I liked Solak a lot. I picked him up at TGFBI last year. He's got some power, speed, that uh, sneaky good stuff. He has some nice position eligibility as well uh, to see, to start the year, depending on where he goes. So, I'm with you there, and he's uh, going super cheap, super cheap in drafts. Let's talk Jordan Alvarez. I'm going to pick 45. He's got the knee injuries. I've been kind of concerned because he's way too young for me to have knee injuries that have lasted this long. Everyone said it was like a day or two rest. He'll be back and. He never came back, Frank. He, he never came back. And then this, the, the spring training was canceled. So we never saw Jordan Alvarez do anything. And it just concerns me with a guy that can DH only, bad knees. He's young. He was going in the first two rounds of 15-team leagues early on. Now, Like I said, he's dropped all the way down to 45 or 46. So he's on the 3-4 turn, which means some people are starting to believe that as well. Are you in on Jordan or do these injuries worry you a bit? Because if it's you till, you till only, get Nelson Cruz later.
1: Yeah, that's exact that's been my exact uh you know mindset all along when going into draft season is that you know, why would I take your, uh, Jordan Alvarez in the second or third round when you can get Nelson Cruz in the fifth or sixth? And I understand they're complete opposites in terms of like where they're at in their career. Uh, and Jordan Alvarez's upside is no doubt higher than Nelson Cruz's. Like, there's a chance that this guy can legitimately hit 300 with 50 home runs. I mean, last year between the minors and the majors, Alvarez did hit 50 home runs. So, I mean, that can be his upside uh, in the majors. But in order for him to reach that upside, he has to be on the field. And You know, I have concern over these knee issues as well. I mean, Bubba, I'm 28 years old. I got some knee pain. Uh, You know, I used to play basketball and stuff, but I am also not a premier athlete. I am not a professional (laughs) athlete as well. So I'm allowed to have knee pain because all I do is, you know, sit in my basement apartment and talk fantasy baseball with with guys like you, Bubba. So it's a right for me to have knee issues. It's not a right for a 22-year-old Jordan Alvarez to have knee issues. So I do worry about it. Uh, But I will say, to quote Ted DiBiase, everybody has a price that and is so true. last night he was going, he went in the fifth round. He almost fell to me at five eleven in the, at the end of the fifth round. And if he was there, I would have jumped on him at that point, because if he continues to fall that far, that's something that I can get in on because now we're closing the gap between him and Nelson Cruz. So uh, where he was going before second, third round, I can't get behind that. If he starts falling into the fourth, fifth round uh, based on what I think his upside can be, even with the downside of his injury risk, I would be I would be willing to take that risk. But if he does kind of go back to where he was before in the third round, uh, I'll just take Nelson Cruz at the end of the fifth or beginning of the sixth uh, because that's basically – that was the case for most of the draft season, Bubba.
0: That's a phenomenal point, and that's something I, I've said on many shows is everyone's got a price, and Ted DiBiase says it a lot better than I do. But um, it makes sense. If he keeps falling, that's what I, I, I noticed now going to pick forty six. You were doing drafts right early on that we saw him going in the second round. So if he continues to fall, he's gone as low as pick 56 over the last month. Then yes, I am on board with that because in the end, as much as I am concerned with a 22-year-old having knee problems, he's a designated hitter. So if he can just kind of plug along, we're not looking for him for stolen bases. There's something to to at least be intrigued by. So I'm with you there 100%. Uh, Last two guys we're going to talk to here are the Yankee sluggers. Aaron Judge going to pick 58. Giancarlo pick 91. Giancarlo news came out that uh, he's already taken batting practice and he's looking like he'll be ready to roll here for sure, barring another Giancarlo type injury by June. Uh, Shouldn't be an issue. Judge, on the other hand, he had the surgery. We don't know when he's going to be back to baseball activities. I'm a little more concerned with Judge. What's your take on your two Yankees?
1: I want nothing to do with either one. And that comes to you as a Yankee fan. If I can give anybody a piece of advice here for the draft season is stay away from Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge. And the reason being is I don't think that what they offer, at least from you know, a five by five batting average perspective. Uh, I don't think that what they offer is worth where they're going right now. I will say that when the uh, the injuries originally took place and you know we saw Stanton going outside the top 100 uh, picks and drafts, then all right, that kind of piques my interest a little bit. But based on the news that we received and the fact that the season is going to be delayed, I think that we're going to see Stanton kind of move back up into that fourth, fifth round range. Aaron Judge likely going to move back up into that third, fourth round range as well. And for me, that's just a really, really a high price to uh, to ask either one of these uh, players to achieve. I mean, they've been consistently injured. I know a lot of people are going to point out, well, oh, before last year, Giancarlo Stanton was healthy. I mean, Matt Modica has pointed this out on Twitter as well. Giancarlo Stanton has one season of more than 40 home runs <laughs> in his career. And obviously it yeah. was that massive season where he won the MVP with the Miami Marlins. But in terms of consistency, I mean, if you want a guy that's going to hit 35 to 40 home runs, why don't you just wait five or six rounds and take Fran Moraes? Or why don't you just take Kyle Schwarber if that's the case, right? I just think that you can get similar skill sets to what Aaron Judge and Carlos Stanton offer where they're going, right? So if Stan, if uh, Judge moves back up in the, into that third, fourth round range, I mean, if you if you take him there, you are passing up on guys that are legitimate batting average contributors, legitimate stolen base contributors. And those are the scarcest categories this year. And Aaron judge con- contributes nothing in either one of those. Yes. He'll give you home runs. He'll give you runs and he'll give you RBIs, but it wouldn't surprise me if these guys are injured at some point throughout the course of the season. Again, the Yankees, I'm telling you as a fan watching the game, paying attention, uh, pay- paying attention to the team very closely, they understand that they have a wealth of riches. So they're going to give these guys days off. You're not going to see, You know, these guys playing every single day. They have Clint Frazier. They have Mike Talkman. Aaron Hicks is going to be back. Brett Gardner's on that team. They have a ton of depth. So I don't think that they're going to play every day. And I think that there's a legitimate chance for re-injury as well for both of these guys. But I've said this as well. These guys are too jacked for their own good. They have to go on like the Babe Ruth diet. I mean, just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, beer and hot dogs because they're almost – like, too, they have too much muscle mass. I mean, guys like that are not meant to, I believe, you know, play baseball every single day without suffering an injury. So, because of that, uh, I'm going to be fading both of these guys once again, unless we see the price tag kind of drop back down. And I don't see that happening.
0: Yeah, Judge, I've been off on all year. I even wrote an
1: article at Roto Baller,
0: an ADP uh, analysis, and I basically wrote the argument to take Fran Reyes over Aaron Judge. I, I, that was, that was my argument the whole time. You can get the same player even better a lot later in drafts. I'm with you there. Stanton's price tag as it's dropped intrigues me more. Uh, I'm still not in love with it because there's a lot of better, there's a lot of other players at the time of the draft like you're saying. You can even wait on a fran mill like you're saying as well. Uh, he, he gets me intrigued but I'm with you. The injuries are just too real with these guys and it's really scary and in reality outside of the Rays who I think are going to the playoffs out of the AL East, the Yankees should at worst win the division if not win a wild card spot. They can kind of play the playing time game with these guys. They got Gardner that Hicks will be coming back from an injury that they have options in the outfield and a designated hitter. You know, Gary Sanchez is already banged up with the back, but we've seen him when we play like what, 120 games max in a season, he hasn't played much and he still drops bombs everywhere. So it's what the Yankees do. They just find ways to do it. you know that better than anybody. So no questioning that at all. Um, Let's get into your, your tout wars here. You did the head to head points league, auction over the weekend with everything we've kind of hinted on with the different atmosphere in the world uh, that we're waiting in for baseball. What did you do to prepare for this? Like, how did you look at things going into it?
1: Yeah, so I basically had a, a plan, like a rubric, and I, I do this for all of my auctions beforehand, where I kind of have an idea of what I want to do at each position. I have kind of uh, money allocated in the salary to each position. I kind of know beforehand how much I'm going to spend at each position. Uh, and if I don't get the the main player that I want, I almost have a, a backup option as well. Uh, so I kind I have all of that kind of pre-planned beforehand, and I, I did that weeks before, this this auction took place. So and that was also weeks before we knew everything that was going on with the coronavirus, obviously, and the delay of the season and how it kind of changed things. Um, but uh, ultimately, it didn't really change things for me all that much. I knew that, you know, I wanted to spend around 30 to 35 dollars on an a starting pitcher and I wound up doing that. Um I knew that I didn't want to spend really more than, you know, 30 to $35 on any player. I kind of uh, like to live in the middle tier when it comes to uh, at least the head to head points auction, because I actually have a home league that's very similar uh, rules to to what the the Tout Wars head to head points auction is. So I'm kind of used to this, uh, this format. I've played in something like this before, and I, I really like to attack it uh, where I don't pay up for the big names. And I kind of just live in the mid tier, but ultimately, uh, the news didn't really change anything. It kind of, if it changed, the one thing it did change is kind of like which players were available to me because, you know, two weeks before the auction, when I kind of set up this outline for what I wanted to do, I didn't have guys like Verlander and Clevenger on there. But, you know, going in, uh, once we kind of had the information that we had, then yeah, like if those guys are going for 30 to $35 and, and that's what I want to spend for my SP1, then they're definitely in play. And ultimately, that's how things ended up working out.
0: Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Uh, one thing you mentioned is the format. That I know TAT Wars usually does OBP and other things, but head-to-head, I know they've been changing the point structure uh, the last couple of years. And I heard they made tweaks this year. What is the the format? Like what difference is compared to the standards that most people are used to?
1: Yeah, so normally I play with like the CBS Sports uh, kind of their default scoring format. Uh, I think the only thing that might be different is uh, home runs uh, in this format uh, in Tout Wars are worth five points. So it's a point for a single, two points for a double, three points for a triple, uh, five points for a home run, two points for a stolen base, which I think all that is pretty standard outside of the home run. They added a point there, one run for RBI, one one run for a run scored, one point for a walk as well. Uh, You lose a half a point for a strikeout. And then on the pitching side of things, wins are worth eight points. Saves are worth five. Blown saves are also worth minus five points as well. Uh, there's there's a bonus for quality starts. I believe it's like a five-point bonus. And you get a point per out, so three points per innings pitch. So, I mean, if you played in, in a head-to-head points format, it's, it's pretty standard uh, for the most part. But I think uh, what stands out to me the most is, is the fact that a save is worth five, a win is worth eight, and a blown save is worth minus five whereas a loss is only worth minus three, which basically renders relief pitchers and closers useless in this format.
0: That's what I was about to say, is it really changes things. Like,
1: did you play in the Raz Slam at all?
0: Yeah, it's funny.
1: I actually just finished
0: it today. Mine finished last night. So, yeah, I thought we'd never end. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But uh, that format, I've never done the cut line before, and it really kind of gives you the idea that, you know, relievers, not just closers, are a little more important, if that makes sense, because you can just take the good weeks so where the strikeouts are worth so much, the saves. Now you did get blown save issues there, but also it seemed like losses were a little more of a hindrance if, with your starters per se. Um so it, it was kind of I, I I relief pitched heavy towards the end there, but uh, maybe I'm totally off. But um let's look at your squad here. You mentioned um you got, you know, your clevenger at thirty two bucks, you got J Ram at thirty two. I am huge on J Ram. I take it you're a believer in a bounce back season.
1: Yeah, I really like what he did, obviously, in the second half. Basically, from July 1st, he kind of went back to the player that he was. And uh, the issues that we saw in the first half of the season, Bubba, are the same that we saw in the second half of the 2018 season, where he was basically trying to lift the ball just too much. Uh, He was trying to hit home runs, and ultimately that hindered his production. But last year in the second half, he got back to the player he was in the first half of 2018, back to the player he was in 2017, where he just focuses on hitting line drives and pulling the ball more. And when he does that, the home runs are going to come. He doesn't have to worry about stressing home runs. If he just kind of you know, plays his game, the home runs are going to be there. Uh, and I think he's someone that can get close to being a 30-30 player again this season. I mean, amidst everything that was happening last year, the stolen bases were the one thing that remained. Uh, and in a head-to-head points league plate discipline is uh very crucial and he's someone who doesn't strike out all that much he obviously has a good eye at the plate he gets on base via the walk I think it was two years ago um in 2018 he actually was the highest scoring uh the highest scoring player uh highest scoring hitter rather in head-to-head points league so uh, I think at $32 he does have upside in this format
0: yep he, uh, people have given me a hard time and I understand the there's there's good debates in rankings that are out there but uh, and um, that's the beauty of my rankings they can be who I like and they can differ from others but I have had Jose Ramirez as my top third baseman off the board this year even ahead of Arenado and I get it if people disagree I just think with the value of steals this year I think Jose is going to have a monster season so uh, I, I'm with you on the price you pay for him uh, I don't see where Arenado went here it's just a smorgasbord of Numbers here. Let me see here. Arenado, He went for 39. So he got like $7 difference between the two. Not too shabby. Um, You know, some people talk about auctions. They have like a 70, 30, 65, 35 split for offense and pitching. Did you go into it with a certain split?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I did go into it with a, I wanted to spend uh, $170, around $170 on my hitting and $90 on my pitching, which is close to a 65, 35 split. But in hindsight, I do, I do somewhat regret it because you know players that I respect, in Ian Khan who won this league the year before, and Clay Link who has been competitive, uh, basically in every league ever. Uh, two guys that I really respect. They wound up spending close to fifty percent um on each 50% hitting and 50% pitching. So uh, that's something that I, I might wind up regretting and something that I think I should keep in my mind heading into next year's auction as well. But I did kind of have that 65 35 split uh, heading into this. And for people wondering uh, why, the the main reason is because I you have you start uh, 13 or 14 hitters and you only start nine pitchers. So you're starting more of that position. Uh, and I figured you know you should have more of your budget go towards uh, that way uh, in favor of hitting. So that's kind of how I had it outlined beforehand.
0: No doubt about it. Uh, good, good point on that. Uh, I see you got Salvi Perez at seven. I'm a huge Salvi bounce back guy. I think that's a really good price there. You got Starling Marte for $16. Um, I don't know what you had him budgeted at, but just off the top of my head, we saw it like in TGFBI. Uh, Todd Zola take him as high as pick 13. I think I put took him at twenty-four. His average ADP was around twenty-four. Getting him for sixteen dollars seems like quite the uh, the value there. Were you looking to get Marte? Or did this just be one where you were bidding on it and he just kind of fell to you?
1: So I didn't have any yeah, you know, I wasn't trying to get starling Marte going into this auction at all. But um and I will say this, he is someone who is much better in roto than he is in a head to head points league because again, uh plate discipline, he doesn't walk all that much. Uh True. he's you know better in roto because he obviously hits for the high batting average uh, and steals bases and, and stolen bases are not, you know, paramount in head to head points leagues, but he's still going to bat in the top three of a solid lineup with the Arizona Diamondbacks and um you know, I think another thing is uh, avoiding players that are often injury prone uh is probably something that you should look at when it comes to head to head points leagues, but even that I mean for sixteen dollars, starling Marte went for the same price as John Carlos Stanton in this auction, and I've already kind of made my thoughts known about John Carlos Stanton, so for sixteen dollars, I kind of had it budgeted where I wanted to spend. Twelve to fifteen dollars on my on my second outfielder, and I didn't have Starling Marte written in there. But when I kind of saw the bidding slowing down around fifteen, I was like, "All right, let me jump in here." I uh, wound up getting him for sixteen dollars. Better Roto player for sure, but at this price tag, I don't have any problem taking him uh, for that cost in a head-to-head points league.
0: Totally agree. That's why I thought that was an interesting buy there. Um, you mentioned in this points league where you get a little more benefit to say guys that walk. Carlos Santana is going to get you a lot of points. That that's a big one. Uh, you got some George Springer, Xander, uh, Lucas Giolito looks like to be your number two based on uh, how much money you spent. You got Lucas, and you got uh, Frankie Montas to kind of be your top three, or no, Mike Soroka as well. What's your thoughts on Lucas Giolito? Because some people have him as a potential ace, some have him as an SP two. He's your SP two, but uh, what's your take on him?
1: Yeah, so I have Giolito ranked inside my top 12, and I trust what I saw from Lucas Giolito last year. We know he has the prospect pedigree, and, you know, he changed things last year. I mean, he made tangible changes where uh, completely changed his mechanics. The velocity went up last year, you know, 94 miles per hour on the fastball. Um, and, you know, he started giving you depth, too, in the second half of the season, started going uh, deeper into games. Uh, in, in the second half, he went at least six innings pitched in 11 of 12 starts uh, in that second half. The 3.76 ERA a little bit misleading. He had a 3.28 x5 in the second half, uh, nearly 13 case per nine during that time. 15.6% swinging strike rate. It seems like a lot of people are kind of torn on on what to do with Lucas Giolito right now. But if you buy into any of what he did last year. I, I think that you have to be on the optimistic side of Gilito and, and, you know, I say all that, and I haven't even mentioned the fact that Yasmani Grandal is now the catcher of the White Sox, and he's one of the best pitch framers in the game. And he's going to help guys like Giolito, like Dylan Cease, like Michael Kopech tremendously in stealing strikes. Uh, and I think that that's just another positive for him. So uh, to get him for twenty dollars here, where you know other players, I guess in this tier, like Chris Paddock went for twenty three, Charlie Morton twenty five, Zach Greinke went for twenty nine dollars. Uh, give me the savings on Lucas Gelito. I was actually really surprised that the bidding just kind of stopped there at twenty.
0: Yeah, that seemed like a really cheap price there. That's a a heck of a steal at that point in time. Let's talk about some of the values. Like you got Frankie Montas at six. That's fun. That's good. I love the David Price at $5, I think, especially on a shortened season. You don't have to worry about innings. That's huge. Mad Bum at 6 uh, James Paxton at 5 We just talked about him. But I want to talk Chris Davis with you. You have Chris Davis for $3, and I'm not talking about a C. I'm talking about a K, Chris Davis. What's your, um, what's your hopes of Chris Davis uh, in this season?
1: Yeah, I think you can attribute a lot of what went wrong with Chris Davis last year to uh, the injury, obviously, right? So, uh, you know, he was trying to make a catch, and he, ran, he wound up, like, running into the wall at in Seattle. I mean, I don't know what the name of – it's not Safeco anymore. I know they changed the name there uh, of the Seattle ballpark. But before the injury last year, I mean, he had 10 home runs, 26 RBIs. He was basically on pace for another 40 home run season. So I really do kind of attribute – Uh, Everything that happened from that point on, which was May 5th, anything after that was really kind of attributed to what happened uh, with the injury. And um, so I'm kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt. And I think he can kind of bounce back, maybe not 40 home runs like we've seen before, but if he can hit 35 with a two forty batting average, again, you get five point five, five fantasy points per home run um, for $3. Uh, This is one thing that I could do later on in this auction bubble was I kind of had a lot of money left late where I was able to kind of uh, get guys like Mad Bum for cheap, David Price for cheap, Chris Davis for $3, because everyone at that point uh, really didn't have money. So I kind of was able to kind of drop the hammer for some of these, uh, for some of these mid-round players. Uh, and I think it wound up working out for the most part. I mean, Chris Davis, three bucks. Yep. Sign me up every day of the week.
0: All day. Like I said, I love the Mad Bum. I love the David Price picks. I like this fan tracks tells you what time you drafted them at. So you could tell... You got these guys towards the end of the draft here because your early picks are around three twenty, and these are in the six o'clock hour. So guys are whittling things down, which I like quite a bit here. Uh, a couple other values uh, you got like Wilson Ramos at two dollars as your catcher two, which I like, think's pretty nice. But let's talk Byron Buxton, the elephant in every draft room. You got him for a dollar, and I know it's Byron Buxton, and he's a tilting his all get up. But even in like hundred and thirty games, he could he's crazy talented enough to go twenty twenty. Uh, what's your take? Like a dollar seems like how did no one else bid $2 to me?
1: Yeah. So he was just one of the last players thrown out. And we were kind of at that point in the auction where, Uh, Most people only had a max bid of $1 left. And uh, admittedly, I actually got, you know, a few other players stolen from me before Byron bucks. And I think I tried for Brian Reynolds for a dollar. Someone had money left. They wound up getting for for $2. Willie Calhoun spoke about him earlier. Someone I love. I tried to get him for a buck. Uh, Someone else had the ability to go to $2. I I just didn't have that ability late in the auction. And, And that's something I think that, you know, I'll learn from here. And I think a lot of people, Uh, can also learn from is that while we were getting towards the end of this auction I almost felt like I had too much money left so I you could see um that I wound up bidding on like the Bumgarners the Paxton's and and the Chris Davis's and then I had like four spots left where I can only spend a dollar left on each one of those so you might want to save a little bit more money for the end if you just want to be able to kind of get those those late round uh players that you want but Look, when it comes to Buxton, he's not a great points league player either. I'll admit that. Better for Roto, for sure, because of the stolen bases. But last year, I mean, before he got hurt, um, you know, he was performing well. And, you know, he was cutting down the strikeouts and had improved plate discipline. And we're still kind of enamored with the the prospect pedigree. It seems like, you know, he's just been around forever. And we're just Mm -hmm. waiting for him to finally do it. But... Look, for a dollar, I, I don't really think there's much risk, and I kind of covered myself in the reserve rounds. I took some, I guess you could call them boring outfielders, but Austin Hayes, Gregory Polanco, uh, Brandon Nimmo. I kind of covered myself um, because I took Kyle Tucker and Byron Buxton as my outfielder four and five. Uh, but with some of those reserve round outfielders, they're just kind of like safe floor plays that I guess are are kind of good to counteract the, uh, the downside of someone like Buxton or Kyle Tucker.
0: I love that Austin Hayes pick. He's been a target of mine in, late, in uh, deep drafts, late in, late in drafts. I really like some Austin Hayes upside with the Orioles there. A couple other dollar players here. Nate, Nate, Nate Iavaldi is a guy I've been targeting quite a bit. Uh, Velo up, big strikeout stuff. Uh, I'm intrigued by him. But as a Yankees fan, I know it's only a dollar. So you have nothing to lose here. I'm just curious on your thoughts on Masahiro Tanaka because – you know, seeing him for a dollar, I know you mentioned the the points you lose for the losses and other little factors there, but still the Yankees are gonna be hitting behind them. Um, he's still the arms still put together. What's your thoughts on Tanaka, a guy we used to draft a lot higher or pay a lot more money for?
1: Yeah, so we heard this from a lot of different pitchers last year that when the ball changed, that it they it kind of ruined their grip on certain pitches pitches. And we heard that from Cindergard with his slider, same thing with Edwin Diaz. And you saw those two guys kind of have like down seasons by their standards. And the same thing could be said for Masahiro Tanaka. He basically said that he just didn't have a grip on that splitter whatsoever. And watching his performances in spring training before everything kind of got shut down here, uh, it looked like the splitter was back on. And that's everything that, you know, the Yankees beat writers were saying. that's everything that Tanaka was saying was that it feels like he can get a grip on that splitter once again. And just kind of think about it from any pitcher's perspective, right? If you take away any pitcher's best pitch, like it's going to hurt them tremendously. There's just no doubt about it. So uh, if that was actually the case last year where he couldn't get a grip on that splitter, then uh, I think you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. I will say this. Look, it kind of seems like we've been waiting for Masahiro Tanaka to be that player he was when he first kind of joined the Yankees for years now, and it hasn't happened. I don't know that it's going to happen, but again, for a dollar, I'm willing to take that risk. And in this format where, you know, wins are worth eight fantasy points, you almost kind of just want to chase pitchers who are on good teams. And that's kind of what I was looking at with guys like Masero Tanaka and James Paxton as well uh, with the Yankees, they should be in line for a ton of wins this upcoming season. Uh, but I do think if he has that grip, grip back on the splitter we can get him back to you know a strikeout per inning type pitcher probably around a four era uh with a very solid whip i mean that's one category he'll always contribute is is in the whip category
0: no i love it that's what it's one thing i'm really really intrigued by with him is the wins will be there the whip will be there it's just a matter of what else comes with him because like i said a dollar surprised me but then then again it is a points format it's a 12-man league where you're auctions things can get weird so it intrigued me quite a bit um what was your overall thoughts on your team i know everyone usually likes their team leaving the draft is there any holes you're worried about is there any things you're already looking to address uh leaving the draft what are your thoughts
1: yeah so overall I, I i like the team that i wound up with here and i kind of attacked um you know what i wanted to do to a t i mean i could send you a picture after this bubble of kind of uh, the 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 outline that I had heading into this, and I kind of I wound up with a lot of players that I want wanted to, uh, and I will just kind of point out for anyone who plays in a head-to-head points league, I kind of liken it to DFS, and I know you play a lot of DFS baseball as well, Bubba. Uh, when you play in a head-to-head points leagues, you want to target hitters that are on really good lineups and bat in the top half of those lineups for similar reasons to DFS is that you just want to give yourself more opportunities for fantasy points, right? Obviously more at bats, uh, more plate appearances will lead to more opportunities at fantasy points. So that's exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, attacking guys like uh, DJ LeMay, who's, who's going to lead off for the Yankees should see a ton of at bats. George Springer, just a couple of years ago, led the league in plate appearances uh, and last year actually ranked fourth among outfielders in fantasy points per game. So if he can just manage to stay healthy this upcoming season in a a contract year for George Springer, uh, I think he's someone you want to target in a points league. Same thing with Xander Bogart, just hits a ton of doubles, has good plate discipline as well. I think that that's a way that you should kind of attack head-to-head points leagues. The one regret, again, that I do have is I think that I probably should have had a more even split here in terms of uh the pitching and hitting how I kind of distributed the the money in the auction and I kind of wish that I had another solid like top 20 starting pitcher and there's a chance that guys like Mike Siroco uh, Mike Siroco and Frankie Montas can take that next step but if they don't then you know I kind of have some work to do there and you know I did want someone like a Charlie Morton or you know potentially like a Chris Paddock or Noah Syndergaard as an sp3 just someone personally I felt a little bit more comfortable about uh but I did wind up hitting hitting on some of those mid-round guys and I'm not even a Madison Bumgarner guy but for six dollars I mean the guy's gonna go deep into games and you get points bonuses for quality starts as well Um, And again, I just didn't wind up with any relievers or closers in this format because uh, when you kind of plug in the numbers to the the auction calculator on Fangraphs, there were only three relievers who were positive value players, which is just crazy. It was Josh Hader, Roberto Osuna, and Liam Hendricks. Every other closer and reliever in this format is a negative value. So that's why I just wound up with none uh, in this format. But overall, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy with the way things turned out here, Bubba.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the relief pitcher thing again, because, yeah, a lot of like just random people would look at it and go, you have no closers. What are you doing? But uh, that's why it's all about knowing the format you play. And you mentioned Ian Kahn and Clay Lane kind of going more balanced. It is interesting. You look at Ian Conn. He went uh, he has Strasburg, Glass now and Kershaw all over twenty dollar pitchers. So he kind of, you know, got three, quote unquote, potential aces on his staff or our upper end targets. And then you have Clay Link. He went with Garrett Cole and Bueller. He got both of them for $42. So he went big. Then he also went Barrios, and Darvish. He went real heavy on the pitching up top and then filled in with a lot of $1 uh, hitters. So he kind of had that approach to it where he figured, okay, I'm going to get a bunch of big pitchers and, uh, and go from there. You've got Heisus Lazardo at 15, which on a shortened season now may look like a freaking steal on that situation. So it is interesting seeing that. Were there any, um, you know, while, you, while you're while you in the draft, sometimes you kind of think, wow, how'd that happen? Or looking back on it now, were there any picks that kind of surprised you? Because just like out the gate, Cole and Bueller going for the same price is uh, interesting to me. But anything that stood out to you?
1: Uh, there was one that Ian Kahn wound up with, and someone that I am very uh, interested in this upcoming season that I think could just have a complete breakout year, uh, it, and Yoan Moncada. He wound up going for $15. Yep. And you kind of see sometimes, you mentioned it, that in auctions – I mean, things can get kind of weird, they can get kind of funky, where it's just a matter of when that player is is thrown out, where, you know, if people are spending up a ton of money elsewhere, uh, if a player is thrown out at the right time, you can just get him at a discount. And to me, all Moncada, someone who I have ranked inside, you know, my top seven, eight third baseman this upcoming season, you know, I, I would say he probably should be a close to $25 player. I I just think that he has tremendous upside. I could see him having like a Rafael Devers type breakout season where we're talking about Moncada next year as, you know, a potential first round pick or, you know, a consistent second round pick heading into 2021. I just think that he has that type of upside. And we saw some of that last year where he was more aggressive at the plate. Um, And ultimately it wound up helping him out and he, you know, he raised the batting average and a tremendous babbitt last year. That's going to come down a little bit, but uh, Moncada is one that at the time, even when it happened, I was like, man, I should have got in on Moncada. I already had Jose Ramirez at the time. I I didn't really want to spend that much money on my corner infielder. So it was just kind of weird spot for me to be in. I just kind of like had to let it happen. And it hurts a little bit more that it went to Ian Khan as well.
0: Yeah, fifteen dollars is pretty good. He had Machado for twenty-four. I'd probably rather have Makata for twenty-four than Machado, but that's just me. Um, that that's a pretty solid snag there. So it'll be fun to see how this plays out. Uh you mentioned you did a snake draft last night, and I saw the I saw you tweeting about it this morning. And one thing you mentioned, and this happened to me in Raz Slam, it's happened to me in a few others. Like you and I, we do our research, we know the player pool, we know the depth where it is, where it isn't, and if you miss out on a certain run when you can wait so on and so forth but i looked at your roster and i was thinking it and then you tweeted it out right afterwards or on the bottom of the tweet or whatever that you missed the first base run and it got you where when you're looking at and we'll just kind of have fun spitball on here before we wrap up when you're drafting the first base position what's like the cutoff for you because i've had that on my previous shows with toby uh, a lot of people ask like where's the cutoff you want someone above this list line where is it at for you at first
1: base? Yeah, so I think that there's two different cutoffs, and it and it's just your level of comfortability. So for me, I have kind of like my first tier ends after, you know, my 10th first baseman who I have ranked, which is Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, but according to ADP, I guess you could look at like Josh Bell in that range. Mm-hmm. But I think like the Josh Bell, Max Muncy, Paul Goldschmidt range is like the first fall off. And then after that, uh, it comes with, Uh, Edwin Encarnacion. So I would say like the next tier for me is like Reese Hoskins at 11. Uh, Then I have Miguel Sano, Yuli Gurriel, Carlos Santana and Edwin Encarnacion. So that group of like 11 to 15. And, you know, if you play in a 15 team league, I guess like you want one of your top 15 first basemen uh, to at least be your starter at that position. But yeah, look, I just completely whiffed on that last night. It was, you know, I was picking at 11. So obviously I had a long wait between picks whenever it was going down in even rounds and coming back to me in odd odd rounds. And, and it just seemed like there was never the right time to take a first baseman. And I just got caught and I wound up with Yandy Diaz as my first baseman. But for me, it would probably be that 15 at, at Edwin Encarnacion, which is, kind of the cutoff for first baseman where I you know anything after that like if I wind up with Christian Walker or Luke Voigt or Hosmer it's fine but ideally I think you want at least Edwin Encarnacion or someone better as your starting first baseman
0: yeah I I agree with you completely it's one of those that I I like E5 I think he's getting undervalued this year and it's happened to me a couple times and then I'm sitting there and, and you said it the way I think about it it's like okay this isn't the time to take one and then you make your pick in the next like seven picks, three of those guys go. And you're like, well, crap, uh, that just happened. So then, well, I'm not going to take one now because I'm reaching. And then like three more guys. It just feels like that's how it goes sometimes with that position, especially. And then I'm thinking, okay, Walker, Crone, Hosmer, cool. No, they disappeared. I have Daniel Murphy on a few teams. And that's intriguing yet worrisome at the same time. So it feels like then I start chasing, you know, deeper back, it like Jesus Aguilar's and others. So it, it, yeah, it's not pretty Yandi Diaz. I don't mind either. Like you mentioned, it's a real interesting situation, but I guess that could happen on a lot of positions. His first base, it's so top heavy that it feels like it's deep. Like you said, 15 players or you saw, I'll be able to get one, but then when it doesn't happen, it gets real, real interesting, real quick uh, on, on your roster and what you might have to attack on the waiver wire. So I just want to get your, your two, your two cents on that before we, we call it the night. But uh We'll wrap it up there, uh, Frank. Any final thoughts on what's going on right now? On how you're you're doing fantasy baseball stuff and what you're working on.
1: Uh, yeah, so as of right now, I'm uh, I'm with Sports Grid. Uh, normally, you can watch me every day uh, from 11 a.m. to one p at one p.m. Eastern time on Fantasy Sports Today with Craig Mish, and then three p.m. to four p.m. Eastern time with Greg Sussman on the Fantasy BFFs. But uh, as of now, our our studios are currently closed because of everything that's happening. So it's kind of a wait and see approach. Uh, hopefully we can get things up and running again soon. But uh, just a little, you know, heads up to everyone out there to stay positive. And obviously, it's tough times with no sports going on whatsoever. I understand it's tough. I mean, we should be rearing up for, you know, opening day about a week from now at this time and enjoying spring training and kind of, you know, ramping up. But uh, it's a tough time, obviously, but everyone out there try and stay positive, obviously, and continue listening to Bubba because he's got great content. And, you know, he'll be here to uh, kind of be that distraction that everyone needs right now
0: well I appreciate it Frank it's always fun talking to you you guys do great stuff over there at sports grid and um, I'll be actually recording something later today with the ITL boys so that's uh that'll always be fun but yeah I'm looking forward to seeing you guys back over there and uh, doing it every day in studio as always but uh, thanks for joining me always a great time and I look forward to chatting with you again sometime
1: yeah thanks Bubba. appreciate you having me no
0: problem. This is Bench with Bubba episode 262 with Frank Stanfall recap and tout wars, talking about some potential draft values now with the issues that we're having around the world. But uh, and check out Frank over on sports grid and on Twitter at Roto underscore Frank. But until next time, we'll catch you later.